0: There in Genesis chapter number 25 we're continuing through our series on the patriarchs we're studying the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and we're transitioning now uh, from we've been dealing with Abraham for the most part and we've been dealing with Isaac a little bit and now we're going to be talking about Jacob and Esau although we'll talk more about Isaac for a little while, and we're going to really talk about Jacob and Esau tonight, but let's just go uh, over some of these verses just real quickly. You see in verses 1 through 4, uh, Abraham's children, after Sarah died, he took a wife, the Bible says there in verse 1, then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she, Keturah, bare him, and then there's lists there of six different children that he had with his uh, wife Keturah, Zimram, and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. And uh, the Bible says there at the end of verse 4: these were the children of Keturah. Now, in verses 5 and 6, I'm not really dealing with these verses. I just want to explain them to you as we go, and and we're going to get into the Jacob and Esau part. But these children of of Keturah, and not just of Keturah, but of Hagar, Abraham basically, the Bible tells us, he preferred Isaac above the wives, uh, above the children of the concubines. Look there at verse number 5. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. So he preferred Isaac. He gave Isaac all that he had, but unto the sons of the concubines. I want you to see that uh, word Their concubine. Now, notice it doesn't say concubine, it says concubines as plural because uh, Abraham had multiple concubines. He had Keturah that we just read about, and then, of course, he had Hagar. And I want you to notice because I get a lot of questions about this, and I just like to point it out whenever I think about it. If you look there at verse number six, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac. And if you notice verse number one, it says, then again, Abraham took a wife. You know, there's a lot of confusion as to what a concubine is, but the Bible is very clear that a concubine is a wife. And in fact, this morning when we were uh, looking at uh, 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 Judges chapter number 20, we saw the story of the Levite who went in pursuit of his concubine and the Bible called Him, her husband, it's very clear. He calls her father in Judges 19, his uh, father-in-law. So it's very clear in Scripture that a concubine is a wife. And here again, we see it again. But you say, well, what's the difference between a concubine and a wife? A wife was a free woman. A concubine was basically a slave. When they would purchase a slave and then marry that slave, God refers to them as a concubine. The point is this. Abraham, in verse 5, gave all that he had unto Isaac... But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts, and sent them away from Isaac his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. So Abraham preferred Isaac above uh, the sons of the concubines. Then in verses 7 through 10, we see the death of Abraham. Look at verse 7. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived in 100, fifteen years. He lives 175 years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost, and he died. Look down at verse 9. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him. So we get the end of the life of, uh, of, of Abraham. He dies in a good old age. Uh, look down at verse number 11. Here we see that God begins to bless Isaac. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son. Isaac and Isaac, Isaac dwelt by the well, La Now, we talk about Ishmael's descendants through verses 12 and 16. Notice verse 12. Now, these are the generations of Ishmael. The word generations in the Bible always has to do with your descendants, not having to do with time. You know, sometimes people talk about a generation, they're talking about a, a, a span of time. In the Bible, g- generations are always having to do with, you know, your children, your grandchildren, those that uh, were. Uh, came from your bowels. In verse 13, we get that list. Verses 13 through uh, uh, 15, we get the list of all the different Children. Look at verse 16. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their towns and by their castles, twelve princes, and according to their nations. Verses 17 through 18, we talk about the death of Ishmael. We see that he died uh, there in verse 17, and these are the years of the life of Ishmael, and 137 years, and he gave up the ghost and died. He's 137 years old. And then look down at verse number 19, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. So we started talking about the, A, the generations of Abraham. Talked about Esau, um, good night, Esau, Isaac and Jacob and the, son, the, the sons of the, of, the, of the concubines, Keturah. Then we talked about Ishmael's, and, and he goes through and tells us that. Now he's going to begin talking about the descendants or the generations of Isaac. And that's really what I want to preach about tonight, because at the end of this chapter, we get into a lot of interesting things about Jacob and Esau. And I want to give you just three uh, points tonight, three points. Uh, lessons that we can gather from this passage in regards to Jacob and Esau. Look down at verse number 25 and verse number 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. Now, if you remember, the last time we were in uh, the, the series on the patriarchs, Last week we didn't talk about it because we finished the sermon on dispensationalism, but uh, last, last time it, we were we were talking about the fact that in Genesis 24, uh, Abraham sends a servant to go find uh, his son, a bride, and we saw all the pictures there, remember how it has to do with soul winning and the Great Commission, so... Isaac gets married at the age of 40 years old. Uh, Look look at verse 20 again. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethel, the Syrian, of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. I want you to notice there, he's 40 years old when he gets married. Look at verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord... For his wife. What does that mean? He's going to God in prayer. He's asking and he's uh, uh, going to the Lord, entreating of him, asking, uh, petitioning the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So here's what happens they get married. He's 40 years old and they're not able to have children. And Isaac basically makes it his goal to ask and entreat the Lord and to pray for children because his wife was barren and the bible tells us there in verse 21 Isaac entreated the lord for his wife and then at the end of verse 21 and Rebecca his wife conceived now when you read that you it, it almost sounds like okay they couldn't have children Isaac goes to pray and then hey next week she's uh, pregnant you know she's ready to go but if you notice that's not the case because if, if you keep reading look down at verse 22 and the children struggled uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 22. And the children struggled together within her and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went uh, to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. We're going to talk about all that in a minute. Look at verse 25. And the first came out red all over like in hairy garment and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out and his Uh, hands took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here. And Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. What's three score years old? That's 60 years old. Here's what I want you to notice. He gets married in verse 20 at 40 years old. He begins to entreat the Lord and pray that his wife would have a child because she's barren. And then the Bible, t- the Bible makes it sound like she just got pregnant, gave birth. But the Bible tells us that when she had those two children, he was now 60 years old. What does that tell us? He prayed for 20 years. He prayed for a long time. That his wife would conceive and that God would give him children. And that's the first point I want you to see tonight. We see the prayer for Jacob and Esau. And the prayer for Jacob and Esau shows us and illustrates to us that the key to prayer is persistence. Throughout the Bible, you will find that often God, the, the, the Bible teaches. And in fact, go into the book of Luke. I want to just give you a couple of verses in regards to prayer tonight. Luke chapter number 18 in the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the third book in the Bible. The key to prayer is persistence, is sticking with it. And it's interesting because in the Bible, God actually tells us, and we're going to look at it here in a minute. God basically tells us He wants us to bother Him. He wants us to annoy Him. He wants us to just continually come to Him in this process of prayer. Are you there in Luke 18? Look at verse 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 18 and verse 1. And He spake a parable unto them to this end. Now, to this end means here is the point of the parable. What is the point of the parable? That men ought always to pray And not to faint. So the Bible tells us he spake a parable, and what was the point of the parable? That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Here's what it's saying pray all the time and don't quit. Pray all the time and don't get tired. Pray all the time and don't get weary. That's what it means not to faint. Look at verse 2 saying, so here's the parable, here's the picture, the illustration that God gives in regards to prayer. There was in a city a judge which feared not God. We have some of those judges in our Supreme Court, too. They don't fear God. Neither regarded men, and they don't regard man either. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversaries. And he would not, notice, he would not for a while. So for a while, he just refused to do anything. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard men, yet because this widow, notice this, underline this in your Bible, this widow troubleth me. Do you see that? I will avenge her, lest by her... Notice these words. Continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said hear what the unjust judge say. So he's given this illustration. He says it's like a judge who doesn't care, who doesn't want to help. He's an unjust judge. But this woman keeps bothering him and keeps petitioning him, keeps showing up at his doorstep, keeps sending him uh, emails and sending him letters and calling him and calling his secretary and saying, give me justice, give me justice. And eventually, even though he doesn't want to, even though he doesn't desire to, even though he could really care less, he gives her her petition. Why? Because she troubled him with her continual coming. And then here's what he says. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he, notice these words, bear long with them. It's kind of like what we were talking about this morning. God will, God will deliver you when he chooses to. But sometimes he bears long. Sometimes he makes us wait. Sometimes he decides that, and here's the thing, you know, and here's the question I have for you. How many times have you and I gone to God in prayer, gone to God on our knees, and maybe weeping and petitioning and entreating, maybe not even for ourselves, maybe for your spouse, maybe for your children, and after a few days or a few weeks or a few months, we just kind of get frustrated and throw our hands up in the air and say, I just forget it. What we learn about Jacob and Esau is that Isaac never got to that point. He entreated, he prayed the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year, the sixth year. Twenty years troubling God, continually coming to Him, bothering Him, saying, God, if it be your will, Would you give us a child? God, would you please uh, give us a child? Would you please allow my wife to to conceive for 20 years? And here's the point I'm trying to make. He got his prayer answered. But it took 20 years. Imagine if he would have quit praying at one year or five years or 10 years. Imagine if he would have quit praying at 19 years. Imagine that the 17-year mark, he would say, you know what, I've been praying for 17 years for this. God obviously doesn't want to do it. His prayer might not have been answered because there's a key to answered prayer, and it's persistent. It's continual coming. It's bothering and troubling God. That's what he says to do. That's the example he gave. You're there in Luke 18. Flip back a few pages to Luke chapter number 11. In Luke chapter number 11, he gives another lesson on prayer. See, we can learn a lesson on prayer from the lives of Jacob and Esau. There was a prayer for Jacob and Esau, and the only reason Jacob and Esau, even we, we read about them, is because there was a daddy, and there was a husband, and there was a man who said, I will pray, and I will pray, and I will pray, and if God wills, eventually he will give me the petition that I asked for. Luke 11, verse number 5, notice what he says. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. He he, he goes to his friend. He says, I'm in need. I need something. In this story, what does he need? He needs three loaves. You say, why? Look at verse uh, 6. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before. He said, someone showed up unexpectedly. They didn't call and they just showed up. And by the way, that's rude. Okay, (laughs) don't do that. Show at people's houses without letting them know you're on your way. Call. You know, call before you get there. But this guy shows up and says, hey, I'm here. I'm hungry. And he says, I don't have any, I don't have any, uh, nothing to set before you. I've got no bread. So he goes to his friend and he says, lend me three loaves. Notice verse 7. And he from within shall answer and tray. This is a friend that's already asleep. Trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise to give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. Do you see that word there? You know what that word means? It means persistently troubling, troublesome, unknowingly solicitating. Because he would not go away. Here's what he's saying. The, the friend shows up, goes to his friend, you know, starts throwing rocks at the window, starts knocking on the door, saying, what, what, what are you doing at my house? Bob, what, it's midnight. Why are you here? I need some bread. No, I'm already in bed. My children are in bed. And he just says, I'm not leaving. I'll keep knocking. I'll keep throwing rocks. I'm not leaving. And here's what he say. He gets up and he helps him. Why? Because he's annoying him. Because he's bothering him. Because he won't drop it. Because he won't leave. Jesus is teaching us this is the key to answer prayer. You want to know why most of our prayers don't get answered? Because we quit too early. Because we pray for three days, and then it's like, ah, just forget it. God's not answering. What if God wants you to pray for 30, for, for 30 days? What if God wants you to pray for 30 years? What I'm saying is there comes a time when you might, you, you know, whenever I pray and ask God, I'll always say, Lord, if it's your will. Lord, if it's your will that we get this building, please help things to go through well. And if it's not your will, then help me to have the grace and discernment the patience to be able to understand that. But Lord, if it's your will. But here's the thing. We must always pray for the will of God. But just because it's not happening, just because he's bearing long, doesn't mean quit. Isaac stuck with it. Isaac prayed a long time. He continually came. I'm just wondering. Here's what I'm wondering. How many prayers could you have answered? How many blessings are we forfeiting? Because we just give up too easily. The the key to answered prayer is to persistently and regularly and actively be troubling God. Some of you have heavy burdens. You're praying about very specific things. For some of you, I know there are several ladies in our church that are praying for a baby. For others of you, it may be other things. It may be your financial situation, maybe your health. I, I I don't know. Here's all I want to tell you is you just stick praying with it. You don't get frustrated. You don't get upset. You don't get discouraged. You don't just say, "Well, God just doesn't care. God's just not listening." It may take a while, but God says that if you continually come, if you trouble him, if you are troublesome and annoying in your solicitation, eventually, if it's his will, he will answer your prayer. See, the prayer we learn from the lives of Jacob and Esau, the prayer for Jacob and Esau, and here's the key, persistency. So here's the question I have for you. What have you quit praying about? What have you just given up on? What if you said? well, that's never going to happen. That's never going to get resolved. That's never, that situation never going to get better. God is never going to step in. Hey, don't say that even if it takes 20 years, even if it takes 30 years, even if it, takes, if it takes 40 years, even if it takes 20 weeks, even if it takes 20 days. Just keep persistently praying. You have a God in heaven that can't answer the prayer, but he will answer it when he chooses to. Go to the book of Romans. You're there in, in Luke. You're going to go past John, Acts, and Romans. The first thing we see from the lives of Jacob and Esau is we see the prayer for Jacob and Esau. And there's a key there uh, to the persistency in prayer. I don't know how Isaac did it. I've never prayed that long for anything. And, uh, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I've never prayed 20 years for something, but he did it. And here's the thing. God answered his prayer. And God, you say, well, why does God put that in the Bible? He puts that in the Bible to, be, uh, to, to give us hope and realize that sometimes God takes a while to answer your prayer. And by the way, let me say this. There's never one person in the Bible who could not have a child that did not have a child if they prayed for one. Every person in the Bible that prayed for a child eventually got them. Sometimes they had to wait 20 years. But God can Bless and God can answer you. just got to be persistent. Let me give you another point that we can learn from the lives of Jacob and Esau. We saw, number one, the prayer for Jacob and Esau, but let's look at, number two, the prophecy of Jacob and Esau. In this chapter, in Genesis 25, this chapter is quoted, and it's referred to back in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number nine. I want you to see it, and here's the problem, and we're going to look at it closely. The, the problem with, I shouldn't say the problem. That's not the right words, but the fact that this chapter is quoted in Romans chapter 9, people will take Romans 9 and will basically take it out of context to prove Calvinism. Calvinism is a doctrine that basically teaches that you have no say in your salvation. You don't have a choice. God chooses who goes to heaven. God chooses who goes to hell. And Romans chapter 9 is a passage that Calvinists will often go to to try to prove their Calvinist uh, doctrines and philosophies. Are you there in Romans 9? Look at verse number 10. Notice what he says. Romans chapter 9 and verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one even by our father Isaac, for the children, notice what it says, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, that's a quote from Genesis 25, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, there's two passages being quoted here. In verse 12, there's a quote from Genesis uh, chapter 25. And in verse 13, there's a quote from the book of Malachi. Now, Calvinists will take these verses. They, they love these words. If you look at verse 11, notice, For the children being not yet born, neither having done good or evil. So they'll say, see, they haven't done anything good or bad yet. That, they love these words, that the purpose of God, according to election might stand, and they'll say, see, right there, God chose Jacob, and he did not choose Esau, they hadn't done anything wrong, they hadn't even been born yet, he chose one and not the other, verse 13, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, and they'll, they'll, they'll go off on this and prove, you know, say, see, this has to do with Calvinism, and God chose one and not the other, here's the problem with that, is that the passage isn't talking about salvation at all. When God, you know, and here's, let me just give you a good rule of thumb when it comes to studying the Bible. Whenever a passage is quoting another passage of scripture, which in the New Testament is fairly easy to know when that's happening, because usually it says, as it is written or something along those lines. Whenever you're quoting a passage like in the New Testament from the Old Testament, it's probably a good idea to go back to that Old Testament quote and read it in its context. And find out, well, what exactly are you talking about? So let's look at it. Genesis 25. Keep your place there in Romans 9. We, we might come back to it. We might not. Genesis 25. Look at verse 22. Because the, the say, see, he chose Jacob and not Esau. The, the, the elders will serve the younger. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? See, all of that proves Calvinism. God chose one and not the other. Here's the thing. Does that have to do, here's the question. Does that have to do with salvation? And here's another question. Does it even have to do with Jacob and Esau? Genesis 25, that's where the quote comes from. Look at verse 22. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So she was, you know, these children are like fighting. These twins are fighting inside of her. And she's like, what's going on? And she goes and inquires of the Lord. I'll tell you one thing about the home of Isaac and Jacob. They had issues, you know, and they played favorites and all that. But these two at least prayed a lot. You know, Isaac prays, she's praying, she's inquiring of the Lord. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, notice what the Lord says, two nations, do you see that? Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people, do you see that? Shall be separated from thy bounds. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So here's the question. When, 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 when she goes to God and says, why are these twins? I have such a stomachache. You know, why are these twins just fighting inside of me? And she inquires the Lord. God comes back and says, hey, it's because there are two nations in your womb. And then he says, the one, he says, the elder, and what he means by that is the nation that descends from the elder, that nation and that people will serve the younger. Meaning the nation that descends from the younger. He's not talking about... Jacob and Esau, he's talking about the nations that will come from Jacob and Esau. And here's the thing. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about their descendancy. The fact that those that descended from Esau would serve those that descended from Jacob. So when, when, the, when the Calvinists go to Romans 9 and say, well, see that Bruce Calvinism. Because God chose Jacob over Esau. God did not choose Jacob over Esau for salvation. God chose the people of Jacob, the nation of Israel. Because remember, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. He chose the people of Israel over the people of Esau or the Edomites. He chose them as his people. He gave them his covenants. He chose Abraham and Isaac. And Jacob and Jacob's name will later on be changed to Israel. And Jacob will have 12 sons that'll be known as the 12 sons of Israel that will become the 12 tribes of Israel. He chose that nation over Esau. And we'll see in a little bit why he did that. But both of them had an opportunity to be saved. It's not that he chose one for salvation and and and, and not the other for salvation. And and people will say, and Calvinists will say, Well, then why does it say? Why does he say that he hated Jacob? Or that he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. Well, again, that's a quote. So let's go back to the quote and see what the quote's about. Go to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter one. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Should be fairly easy to find. Malachi chapter one. Because again, if if, if Paul is quoting an Old Testament passage, shouldn't we go to that Old Testament passage and read it and study it and figure out okay, what's he talking about? Now, let me say this: He's the quote comes from Malachi. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to find out that Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, first book in the Old Testament, last book in the Old Testament. These two books are separated literally by thousands of years, okay? So when, when God said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, it was thousands and thousands and thousands of years after both of these men were dead. So what are you talking about? Well, look at the context. I think it's very clear. Malachi chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. Who's Israel? Now you say, well, well, Israel is a nation. You're right. Israel is also a person. Jacob's name was Israel. So we got to figure out, is God talking right now? Are you talking to Israel, the person, or Israel, the nation? Because see, in the Bible, often na- an entire nation will be called by the name of one man. Or an entire tribe. They called the entire tribe the tribe of Benjamin. Well, Benjamin was one guy, but his entire tribe was called after him. The entire tribe of Judah, the Moabites were named after Moab. And and the Edomites were named after Esau. The Israelites were named after Israel. Jacob, the person. Notice what he says, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. So God's talking to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you. Loved who? Israel, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein have thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob. Now, we already read that passage. What was that passage about? Nations. So he's telling them, I loved you, Israel. Well, how did you love us? Well, I chose your nation above Esau's nation. Notice what he says, verse 3. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains. Okay, so did Esau the person have mountains? And his heritage wastes for the dragons of the wilderness. Look, look at it. It becomes real clear. Verse 4. Whereas Edom. What's Edom? That's the nation that comes from Esau. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Notice notice what he says. They. Why does he say They. Because he's talking to a people. They shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the borders of wickedness. And notice, don't miss this, the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. So he's talking to a person or to a group of people. It's very clear. He's talking to people. So when he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, he's not talking about two individuals Although God does hate individuals, but in this context, he's saying, I love the nation that came from Jacob. I chose the nation that came from Jacob. And he says, I did not choose the nation that came from Esau. And eventually he hated the Edomites because they were wicked and because of all their transgressions and because of all the things that he did. Look at verse 5. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Is that a person? Do people have borders? That's a nation. He's talking about a location. So I want you to understand, you know, because these, these they will say, well, chapter 9 of Romans proves he chose Jacob. No, no, he chose the nation. Two nations are in thy womb. He chose the descendants that came from Jacob over the Edomites. But he did not choose one. And listen to me very carefully. God does not choose who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. The Bible is very clear throughout all Scripture, throughout all the Bible, it's very clear that salvation is available for anyone who wants it. Salvation is available for everyone who would have it. Let me read these verses for you. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read them for you. I'll just go quickly just because I want to drive in the point. We are not Calvinists at Verity Baptist Church. We believe that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. John 3.15 says this, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That whosoever includes Esau. Esau can be saved, could have been saved. If he was saved, he, he was saved because God said that whosoever believeth, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 4, 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John, and I'm asking you, do you believe that? That's the question we ask when we're out soul winning. But that's the question you ought to ask when you're out soul winning. Don't just tell people. It's Jesus. well, Do you believe that? us thou this? Look at John 12, 46. I am come a light. Oh, you don't have to turn that. I'll just read it for you. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Acts two twenty one. 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, the Bible's very clear. Anyone who wants to, whosoever wants to, can be saved. Acts 10.43, to, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sins. Romans 9.33, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling block and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Romans 10.11, for the scripture says, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans thirteen two. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God. And, the, and I'm reading a wrong verse. Sorry about that. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. It's whosoever, and and you know often we will get we will get accused of being Calvinists. People will say, Oh, you're a Calvinist. I've had people email me and say, Verity Baptist Church is a Calvinist church. And here's why they people think we're Calvinists. But I want to just explain this real quick. They think we're Calvinists for two reasons. Because we believe in eternal security, and because we believe in the reprobate doctrine. And basically they'll say, you believe that people cannot lose their salvation, so that makes you a Calvinist. Number one, let me just say this, that does not make you a Calvinist, and here's why. We believe people cannot lose their salvation once they choose to believe. But they have to make that choice. We're not saying that God, because the, the Calvinists will teach this doctrine, the, the, the perseverance of the saints. And they're saying, if, you're a Cal, you know, if God chose you, you're going to persevere. That's not eternal security. Eternal security is you're saved even if you don't persevere. You're saved even if you don't make it. You're saved even if you get backslidden. You're saved even if you quit on God. That's eternal security. The other reason people will get accused of being Calvinist is because we believe in the reprobate doctrine. Where we'll say, well, some people don't have the opportunity to be saved. And they'll say, well, what about all those verses in the Bible that say, whosoever will may come. Here's the thing. Reprobates could have got saved. We're not saying that God decided, I'm going to make you a queer. I'm going to make you a homo. I'm just going to take away. No, no. They rejected God. They got, you know, uh, the Bible says they knew God and glorified him not as God. They rejected him, and therefore, eventually, God rejected them. See, we do believe that eventually you can cross a line. We do believe that you can come to the point where God will take away your opportunity to be saved. But everyone had the opportunity to be saved. You understand that? We're not Calvinists by teaching that people lose their opportunity of salvation. You've got to be able to bring those two thoughts together or three thoughts together. You've got to be able to reconcile the fact that anybody can be saved, but you can cross the line. And people say, like, well, how can you teach that people cross the line? Every time someone dies without Christ, they cross the line. The Bible says, is it appointed unto men once to die? But after this is judgment. Once you die, you don't get a, ch- don't get a chance to be saved. And some people cross that line before. And by the way, let me say this. Reprobates, not all, you know, it's not just, the only reprobates out there are sodomites. That's an easy way for us to identify based on Romans chapter 1, but there are people out there who are reprobates who may not be sodomites, but the only way that someone can even go into that filthy, unnatural sin is because their conscience has been seared, it's because you know, they, they basically, God gave them up, God gave them over unto vile affections. And let me say this, I'm sick and tired of these thinking fundamental Baptists who want to go out there and give the gospel to all these homos. Look, we're not giving the gospel to a bunch of sodomites here at Ready Baptist Church. And if you think we're going to go out there, well, I'm just going to go out there and get a bunch of sodomites and say, well, I don't know what church you're going to bring them to, but you're not bringing them to this church. Yeah. If you want to bring a homo here, we'll kick that guy out and we'll kick out the guy that brought him. We're not, well, I just want to see if they get saved. No, I'm not going to let you experiment with my children. Right. Well, I just want to see if they get saved. I'm going to bring a bunch of homo. No, I'm not going to let those people sit next to my kids. If you want to endanger your children, you want to bring a bunch of filthy faggots into your house and let them be around your kids and let them pervert your kids, you go at it, but not here. Yes. And these fundamental Baptists are like, well, let's just try it. Let's just try it. You try it. You go to somewhere else. We're not doing it here. They can't be saved. The only way they can even do those filthy acts is because God gave them up. God gave them over. God is done with them. God rejected them. God, and I don't want them anywhere near here. I don't want them anywhere near me, and I don't want them anywhere near my wife, and I don't want them anywhere near my children. You want to put them around? There's a Baptist preacher, and I won't tell you the name. There's a Baptist preacher not too far from here who came out really hard against me and guys who preach like me, saying, you got to bring the homos in. You got to love them. You got to get them saved. And I'm not rejoicing over this, but years later, I found out that some homo he brought into his church defiled his son in a Sunday school class. And I'm not rejoicing over that, but you know what I'm thinking to myself? That's your fault, buddy. You brought that filthy pervert into your church, and you stood against men like me, preaching against it, and now your own kid got defiled by them. I'm not playing with these people. It's not a game to me. My children are on a game. You play whatever games you want with your kids. We're not doing it with mine. We're going to keep them safe here. Well, you can't grow a church. I'm not trying to grow a church. I'm trying to preach the Bible. And you say, well, you're a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I believe people can be saved, but I do believe that people can cross a line. I do believe that God is not. God may be the God of the second or the third chance, but he's not just going to let you just reject him and reject him and reject him. And if you don't agree with that, then then, explain, then open up Romans chapter 1 and explain it to me. Open up Proverbs chapter 1 and explain it to me. Open up the passages. I'm I'm, I'm all for being corrected. If you can prove it to me from the Bible, prove it to me. But these people are like, they, they never want to prove anything to you from the Bible. They just want to tell you about their cousin. Well, my cousin's a homo and he loves the Lord. Whatever. Show me the word of God. So we see the prayer for Jacob and Esau. We see the prophecy of Jacob and Esau. God did not choose Jacob over Esau for salvation. God just chose Jacob as a nation. And then he chose, he, he chose not to choose Esau. You say, well, why was that? Well, let me give you the third point. Go back to Genesis 25 and verse number 27. Genesis 25 and verse 27. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching so hard against the homeless? I, I, I just signed the lease, so, you know, <laughs> they can't get out of it now. So I'm just kidding. Genesis 25, look at verse 27. Well, let's hope they sign their part, too. Genesis 25 and verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau. Now, we're not for that. You should not play favorites in your home. Please don't do that. You know, don't play favorites with your children. You, You will ruin your relationship with all of your children. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That was not good. And Jacob sought pottage. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Notice, he was tired. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me. So he's not only tired, but he's hungry. I pray thee with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, he was named. his name was called Edom. That's where the Edomites come from, the nation. Look, look at verse 31. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy Birthright. So, once you get the story, Esau has been hunting. He's tired and he's hungry, and he shows up back at home. He didn't catch anything, and Jacob's been cooking. Jacob's been grilling, or you know, sodding p- uh, pottage is what the Bible says here. And 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 Esau says, "Hey, can I have some food?" And Jacob says, "You can have some food if you sell me this day thy birthright." Now, as Americans, we don't really have this in our culture. Uh, But let me just explain to you what a birthright is. Go to the book of Deuteronomy just real quickly, just to give you, there's many passages we go to, but this is just one clear one that we can look at. Deuteronomy 21, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21 and verse number 15. Deuteronomy 21 and verse number 15. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 15. If a man have two wives... Which, by the way, that's not good either, okay? One beloved and another hated. And they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated. And if the firstborn, you see that firstborn there? Son be hers that was hated. Then it shall be when he maketh the sons to, notice this word, inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved... Uh, firstborn before the son of the hated which is indeed the firstborn now here's given a real specific because during the nation of israel they practiced polygamy some of them did god is not for polygamy but they did god did not make that illegal in their nation and he's trying to explain to them if you have two wives and you really hate the one and you really love the other but the one you hate ended up having the firstborn you can't just decide well i'm going to give the birthright, which belongs to the firstborn to the wife that i love he says you have to give it to the one that was indeed the firstborn you say what is the birthright what do they get look at verse 17 but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn notice by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength the right of the firstborn is his here's what i want you to understand. you say what is a birthright in the bible a birthright is basically when it comes to the inheritance the firstborn would get a double portion. So, for example, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Well, when Isaac dies, they don't split it 50-50. They split the inheritance by three. And then the firstborn gets two portions or two-thirds, and the next gets the last portion. If, if they have, you know, more children than that, then they just divide it by that number of children you know, but the firstborn, you know, gets a double. It, it'll help you understand what's going on. Later on in the story, remember when Jacob dies, and he decides to take the birthright from his firstborn son, Reuben, because Reuben went in onto one of his concubines, and he wanted to punish Reuben by taking away his birthright. He would not give him an inheritance. And then what he did was, instead of giving two portions to Joseph, He ended up giving one portion to each of Joseph's sons, which were two sons. So he takes the birthright from one and gives it to two. That's kind of showing you that the birthright. So here's what I want you to understand: the birthright has a financial aspect to it. You know, you get two, two. You know, here uh, basically Esau was supposed to get two thirds of everything Jacob had and and, uh, of everything Isaac had, and Jacob was going to get the one third. So now you know Esau shows up and he's like, "I'm hungry." I'm tired. And Jacob's like, sure, I'll make you some real good food. You know, if you sell me your birthright, go back to Genesis 25, look at verse 32. And Esau said, so I want you to understand, this is not just like some flippant little like, oh, it's just, you know, a thing. No, th- this is a big deal. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he's swearing to him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob and Esau uh, gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now go to the book of Hebrews real quickly. Let's run some verses and I'll give you some things to consider in regards to this. Hebrews chapter number 12. If you start at the end of the New Testament and head backwards, you got Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 12. And while you go there, let me talk to you a little more about this idea of bringing a bunch of homos into church. Because I, I want you to understand something. I, I've got, I literally got pastors all around here just attacking me, just hating on me, just because I won't bring... You know, I just want you to understand, just because I want you to be, like, thankful that you come to Verity Baptist Church. Not only do we have great things like the homeschool group. Not only do we have all these great activities, you know, like the pie social. Not only do we, you know do all these things. We don't charge you for anything. Not only do you have a great pastor, right, you know? Not only do you have all those things, but let me tell you something. There are people in independent, fundamental, Baptist, King James only, soul winning, supposedly churches right now that are going to church. I mean, could you imagine this, if this happened at Brady Baptist Church? That are going to churches where two men are walking in through the back door, holding hands, sitting in the front row, some dude putting his arm around another guy. And independent fundamental Baptist churches. It's not a theory with them. It's not like, in theory, let them in. No, they're bringing them in. I mean, could you imagine coming to church? You're sitting there, you know, great is thy faithfulness. And right next to you is some short-haired, butch woman with her girlfriend just holding hands. This is happening in fundamental Baptist churches right now. In America, right now. In the state of California, right now. And because we say, uh, no, we say we're not going to let that in. We say, you know, go somewhere else. Go to the crossing. Go to real life. Go anywhere else, but not here. You know, they're like, oh, you're so hateful. That's ridiculous. I mean, I can't can't even. I I could not. I don't even know what I would do. I mean, I don't even know. If I walked into a church and I saw two guys just holding hands, I don't even know what I would do. I I mean, I think, I don't know. You say, would you you, uh, attack them? I might attack the pastor, (laughs) you know. Um, I just can't believe that this is happening in in America. I mean, that this is how far fundamentalism has gone. It's so ridiculous. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 16. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 16. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16. Hebrews 12, 16 is talking about what's happening in Genesis 25. Notice what he says. Lest there be any fornicator... Fornicators, someone is having a physical relationship before they're married. Or profane person, notice, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, some people will say this passage proves that Esau was a reprobate. And you know what? I, I don't know if Esau was. I tend to think that Esau was probably, I mean, he's a fornicator and a profane man, but, you know, a lot of people are fornicators and profane men. You know, but I don't necessarily know that he was a, that he was a reprobate because when the Bible's talking here about him being rejected, it's, again, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about that he was rejected when he would have inherited the blessing. Because remember, Later on, Isaac, Jacob basically steals the blessing from Esau, you know, and takes the blessing that belonged to Esau, and God said the reason that God allowed that to happen is because he despised his birthright, because he gave up his birthright. God said, you know what? You don't want your birthright. I'll just take your blessing too, and he lost both. And that's what the Bible is referring to. You don't have to go back there, but in Genesis 25, 27, 36, in that story it says, and he said, is not he rightly named Jacob, this is Esau speaking, for he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And that's what he's referring to in Hebrews 12. He says in verse 17, For ye know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought for it carefully with tears. He's like asking his dad. He's weeping. He's saying, don't you have a blessing for me? You know, he's, he's wishing that he could get the blessing. But God said, no, you lost the blessing when you gave up the birthright. You sold the birthright, and you lost the blessing. And here's what I want you to understand, what we can learn from this passage. The entire Christian life and the success of the Christian life comes down to this idea. The temporal for the eternal. The flesh for the spirit. That which will only last now, and that which will last forever. See, Esau had to make a choice. I can have a bowl of soup right now, and satisfy my appetite right now. But when he made that choice, he lost the blessings and the inheritance and the opportunity. And here's the thing. He lost the opportunity to be the one that God chose. The birthright went to Jacob. The inheritance went to Jacob. And for all of history, the chosen people were Jacob. God chose Jacob. God gave it to Jacob. We say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You know why? Because he despised his birthright. Because he lost his inheritance. Because he chose to satisfy his appetite and did not look. Look, all throughout the Bible, men and women that have done wonderful and great things for God all chose, they all chose to go ahead and put the emphasis on the eternal and to forget the temporal. To forget the temporary. You're there in Hebrews uh, 12. Go, go one page back to Hebrews 11. Look at verse 24. Hebrews 11. We're almost done. I want you to see this. Hebrews 11:24. 24. Hebrews 11:24. 24. Notice what the Bible says. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses does the opposite of Esau. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Don't miss these words. For a season. See, here's what Moses understood. I could enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I could have a lot of fun for a season. I could fulfill my appetite for a season. Or I can choose to deny the temporal. I can choose to deny the physical. I can choose to deny the earthly. And Moses goes down in history as one of the greatest men in the Bible. One of the greatest men that God ever used. A friend of God. He's mentioned all over in the New Testament. Why? Because he realized, and by the way, let me say this. Go, go, well, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The context here tells us that Esau was a fornicator. And let me talk to you young people listening to me right now. And I want you to listen up. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if at the end of your age you have the word teen, I want you to listen right now. There are are temptations to go ahead and fulfill a physical appetite. And you might be tempted to say, well, I'm just real hungry and I'm just really tired and I just want to give in right now. There are temptations to fill in a a, a physical appetite, a sexual appetite. You, You can have that temptation, but listen to me. You can have that pleasure for a season, but you'll be giving up so much that God could have for you. You'll, you'll be undoing. You'll, you'll give up the eternal. And I'm not talking about your salvation, but listen to me. Esau did not realize that when he sold out his birthright, he lost the inher- Not only did he lose the inheritance, he lost the blessing. He didn't know that. But Hebrews tells us when when he chose to reject the one, God said, "And some some of you young people have quite a birthright. You have a mom and dad that has you in a church like Very Baptist Church on a Sunday night." Some of you have moms and dads who actually moved here from different places, different parts of the state, different parts of the country, just to have you in a church like this, that will preach like this, that will teach you like this. You've got such a birthright. You've got such an inheritance. You've got such a blessing on your life. God can use you so mightily. Don't throw it away for a physical appetite. Don't give in. Uh, and say, well, you know, well, that's just, I don't really know. I mean, it's really, it's God. I know, you know, Esau would say, I know all the promises of Abraham and I don't know all the promises of Isaac, but I'm hungry now. You're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. See, the Christian life is all about understanding that the temporary will only last on this earth, the flesh only will last on this earth. And we must put our eyes and our focus on the eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. For our light affliction. For our light affliction. This morning I gave you a little bit of a testimony of all the things that we've gone through over the last several months. And some of you might think like, whoa, that's a lot. You know what, really it's just a light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And and let me just say this this is the Christian life. Whatever area you want to apply it to, it's a decision. The flesh versus the spirit. The temporary versus the eternal. The things of the world, the things of the flesh, over the things of the When you've got to decide, am I going to tithe? You've got to decide, do I want to invest in the now or do I want to invest in the future? When, when, when you're talking about soul winning, you want to say, do I want to satisfy my flesh now? Do I want to sleep in now? Do I want to be lazy now? Or do I want to focus on eternity, focus on heaven and hell when it comes to fornication. Some of you young people need to decide right now that I'm going to not give in to the uh, temporal and focus on the spiritual, what God would have. If it's being faithful to church, if it's Bible reading, if it's praying, whatever area you want to apply it to, it's always the same thing, flesh versus the spirit. The Bible says if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Moses was a great man of God because he understood that I could fulfill my pleasures for a season. But then you need another fix or another drink or another view or another meeting or another whatever. As Christians, we've got to learn. We've got to learn to not give in to the flesh and say, I'm going to give up this. And especially with you young children. Your purity and your virginity is so precious. And God wants you to honor him with your bodies. God wants you to walk down an aisle one day as a virgin, clean and pure, both male and female, and present yourself to your husband or your wife, clean and will. That's what God has. Don't sell out. Don't sell that great blessing for a morsel of bread, for a few moments of pleasure. We see the prayer for Jacob and Esau. What's the key? Persistence. Isaac prayed 20 years for those boys. He didn't give up. We see the prophecy of Jacob and Esau. What is it? God choosing two nations, not two people. And he did choose them. He, 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 he knew what they would do and the choices they would make, and he chose them based on those, but it wasn't for salvation. And then we see the proposal, the proposal from Jacob to Esau. he he, he gave him a proposal. He said, do you want soup now? Do you want pleasure now? Do you want to feed your appetite now for something that could be valuable, more valuable in the future? That's, That's the Christian life. That's what it's all about. That's what it always comes down to. Am I going to give in now for what I could have or what God could have for me later on? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.